Every week, this podcast is brought to you by Bucket Nutrition. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to help you tick it before you kick it. Just go to bucketnutrition.com. Remember that it's bucket with an IT and use promo code bucket10 and you'll get a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. I've got some bucket shots that I'd love you to try. They're filled with B12 and New Zealand Manuka honey. All you've got to do is share your favorite break new ground story with me, something that you did that was new and bold. DM me on Instagram at Bucket Nutrition. I'll pick out my favorite story and then I'll send you some of these bucket shots to try. They're a great way to boost your immunity and of course, power your next adventure. I knew I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so why couldn't I? That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses swerve off the predictable road and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. The Bucket Lifestyle is about learning how to live while you still have a chance, ticking all those things off your list that you've wanted to do in your life before you die. It's about saying bucket, swerving off that predictable road that you've been following for years, and then maybe steering off onto some strange bumpy path that might with just a bit of luck get you lost. It's about sharing experiences with other people that you know and then connecting with people that you don't know beginning with yourself. I've heard some unbelievable excuses about why people are not living their ideal life. I'm sure you've come up with a few, I know I have. And they all sound perfectly reasonable, rational and legitimate. And that's what makes them so nasty. So Bucket is about trying to get past all of those excuses, ditching those excuses and ultimately moving your way around any obstacle so that you can choose the way you want to live your life. Bucket has eight steps to helping you live that bucket lifestyle. Face your fear, get lost, test your limits, take a leap of faith, rediscover your childhood, shed your inhibitions, aim for the heart. That's where you do something for somebody else. And what this bucket podcast is all about, break new ground. So over the past year on the Bucket Podcast, I've met all kinds of people, innovators, entrepreneurs, mavericks, disruptors, people coming in to talk to me about their road to success and the pivotal moments that caused them to swerve off that predictable road I was talking about. My guests have included astronauts, National Geographic explorers, Olympians, investigative reporters who have reported from the front lines in war zones, cancer survivors, a Navy SEAL shark attack survivor, ultra distance marathon swimmer and runner, big wave surfer who goes out every day and cheats death over and over, and even the world's most famous radio DJ. Break New Ground focuses on one main theme, and that is building. In the most literal sense, it could be building your own home or maybe a home for somebody else, but it could also mean crafting and carving out a chair that people will relax in for years to come. There are so many other possibilities though that have less to do with actually building something and more about making things happen, like establishing a service or activity that didn't exist in your community before, or maybe a way of building or inventing or maybe initiating something that serves us as humans, makes life better for all of us. Just think about all the potential that we all have to not only live a satisfying life, but also a life that has meaning and is impactful. When it comes to the breaking new ground theme, I immediately think of Billy Lee. She's a maverick who's really making a difference out in the world right now. 
Billy Lee is a reality star on the very popular Bravo series Vanderpump Rules, where she works as a hostess at the famous Hollywood restaurant called Sir. Billy is also a groundbreaker and activist who is part of a community that few people really understand, and that's why I was so interested in talking to her. She really opened up to me and shared some of the really intimate details of what it's like to navigate the world as a transgender. She was born male, and growing up in the Midwest, it was incredibly difficult for her, a very confusing time. But she knew that she really had to be true to herself. I felt different. I felt like I was being, I was ashamed of who I was. I was being picked on because I was very feminine as a boy. And my parents dropped out of school at an early age and they had addiction problems and, uh, you know, anger issues. And there was a lot of violence and fear in my household. And I, I think we're all, especially in America, I'm speaking for myself and in the Midwest, we're conditioned to be racist. My family, they put fear in you, like fear this person because they're this color and they have a different culture. And it comes from ignorance. They don't know it. So they're f- afraid of it. And I did this practice for myself and I and I encourage a lot of people in America to do this. When I look at someone that's different than me, I find the beauty in them. Suffering from relentless bullying at home and at school, it wasn't until Billy had moved to LA that everything changed. I think because I was in the freedom of Los Angeles, in the vibration of Los Angeles where yeah. you can really be yourself. And it just something happened where it clicked for me and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm born in the wrong body." I'm female, like my mind, my spirit, my energy, everything that I want to express is feminine, but I'm trapped in this masculine body. Coming from a trans experience, I make people feel uncomfortable because they don't know exactly how to act or what to do. Um, Even my friends, my guy friends of color, we went to a house party one time and he was the only black guy. He said, I feel weird. He said, I feel like they don't want me here. I feel like I make them uncomfortable. And I was like, wow, I feel that way sometimes too. When you're different than another person, you know, you do kind of make people feel uncomfortable. And guess what? That's my mission is to make people feel uncomfortable. So you can educate, I can educate them. I can inspire them. My discussion with Billy was incredibly frank and really nothing was off the table. When I first transitioned and after all the surgeries, I saw how society accepted me. I was attractive. People could tell that I was a female. So they, you know, I had opportunities, I got jobs. Everything just shifted for me because I was physically attractive and I was fully female. And I decided, you know what? Wow, society's not beating me up. I feel good right now. I feel like I'm the cool kid on the block. I'm gonna hide out and I lived a stealth life, which means you're trans, but you pretend like you're cis, like you're born female. And I did it for three years. I dated men, didn't tell them. I owned a restaurant, didn't tell my customers. And I had the best time in my life. I was so at peace with, I just felt good in that moment. And then it got to a certain point where men would ask questions about my high school. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm lying. I'm lying to people that I love. And then I saw my trans brothers and sisters who I kept distance from because I didn't want anyone to know that I was trans. I saw them suffering. And I, I would see trans people come into my restaurant and. I saw this one trans woman who was pretty beaten up and she was homeless and I'm like, what am I doing? I could use my voice to help move and help trans people be visible so we're normalized and we're accepted and we're not suffering anymore. So I did this amazing thing by selling my restaurant 
and I came out three years ago, almost exactly three years ago, on the 20th will be three years. And I started blogging and just writing and I started writing that, exactly what you read, and I started living my truth. And I felt really, really liberated and really powerful. And then I started at Sir, and I started, the fight just got even more intense. And then Trump got in office and it got more intense. And now I feel like having a nervous breakdown sometimes because it's so intense. All I see is, and people are like, Billy, why are you focused on the negative? And I'm like, if you only, if you only seen what I see every day as an activist, I'm, a, I'm on the board of Equality California. When you're on the board of organizations, including Flux, which is a branch from the AIDS Health Foundation, you see the suffering. I'm on these boards so that way I can see what's going on and I can help make a difference. And I can shed light on Equality California because they're doing so much for us. Part of her activism is to continue to inform the general public. I had to do a PSA a couple of years ago where I was like, I'm trans and I can be a nurse. I'm trans and I can do this. It's like, we have to tell the people that we can have a job. Mm -hmm. Like we have to tell the people that we can be employed and we can be a surgeon and be an actor. It's like, we, I have to do this kind of work all the time or I have to tell people that as a human being, as a trans woman, I'm allowed to do this. Slowly but surely, Billy is seeing changes. All of this work is paying off. It's happening. I have a hairstylist, her daughter transitioned from female to male just recently. And now he is like living this beautiful life. Mm. And she was so afraid she, her, she was coming from fear. And I said, what's going on? And she said, I'm just so afraid that he won't be loved. And I said, he will, I promise you. And then I see her two months later and she's just full of light. And she's like, he's, he's living the best life. And I've been seeing, I've seen you know, the younger generation living such a beautiful life. But I'm also seeing a lot of it in really amazing cities like Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It's still difficult in the Midwest. It's still difficult. When I visited home last year, I felt the negative energy of the vice president um, and the administration not protecting him. You know, in California, we have Equality California. Yep. We have amazing government here in California that are protecting trans people. You go to Indiana, it's not there. They don't yep. have the protection. And part of Billy's process was to honor her former self, the boy that she left behind. I was just so ashamed of people finding out who that boy was. I was so ashamed of my past. And I realized that boy got me where I am. That boy went through so much in life and was so strong and got me exactly where I am today. So I thought, I need to honor that boy. Why be ashamed of him? Why, why, why be upset about it or be scared? So I went to my garage. I found all these old pictures that I was like afraid to even look at. And I put out all these old photos of me as a boy all through, as a child, through high school. I lit candles and I cried over it and I thanked him and I loved him and I just sent love. I just sent love because I didn't want to be angry or embarrassed or ashamed anymore. And you know, I, I wish I could have gone back and told that boy everything was going to be okay. Billy's dating has always been difficult to navigate and one story that Billy shared with me from her early days as a fully transitioned woman was quite heartbreaking, but ultimately a teachable moment. I dated a guy um, when I was living, you know, uh, I had the restaurant and I was living stealth. I um, told him after I think eight months of dating and it, I was very close with all his friends and he was like a ex-basketball player, like a very guy's guy. Um, 
And he was devastated. And it was like I dropped a bomb in his life. His friends stopped talking to me. He wouldn't look at me. He was a regular at my restaurant. He stopped going to my cafe. Um, I was so embarrassed. I was so afraid. I was so depressed. I would cry all the time. My roommate at the time would have to lift me off the floor. And then probably about four or five months later, he came around, came back around. We started hanging out again. And he said, you've completely rocked my world. Like I was so upset and so against trans people. Like I, he even told me this story. He's like, do you remember I told you this story how some trans woman sat next to me on the bus and I was like shaking and I just wanted to throw her to the other side of the bus. And I said, yes. And he's like, and you were trans the whole time. And I told him, I said, I was scared to death to tell you after I heard that story. And he said, I felt so ashamed for thinking that and for being that. And I can see how amazing you are and, and how much I love you. And it doesn't matter if you're trans. And so he made a huge shift. He went from complete fear and hate to love. Billy could have chosen to live her life in a completely stealth-like manner, but she knew that she could have a real impact by coming out and then using her voice to advocate for her community. It really is why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I could easily be hiding out, but I'm doing it because I want to pave the way so other kids don't deal what I dealt with. Like, you know, we're planting seeds, we're educating, we're inspiring. If I didn't think it wasn't worth it, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But yeah. I know it's worth it. I know we're making a difference. There's a huge shift happening. I think it'd be fair to say that most of us remember people who have played a really integral role in our lives. And for many of us, it is a teacher. Teachers at school, you must remember some of them that really had an impact on you. I know I do. My teacher, Mr. Havinghurst, a geography teacher, he's the one that really helped me fall in love with the world and the idea of traveling, getting out there to see things. Well, there's one teacher in particular who eats, breathes, and lives all things science fair. Dr. Serena McKellar from Jericho High School in New York has dedicated her life working insanely long hours to make sure that her students qualify for the most prestigious high school competition in the world. It's called the International Science and Engineering Fair and is affectionately known as the Olympics of Science Fairs. The Science Fair is the world's largest international high school science competition and last year, 1,700 of the brightest scientific teenage minds from 78 different countries faced off in a fierce competition for an average of $4 million in prizes. Dr. Serena Michaela represents one of the best teams in the world. In this ultra-competitive scene, having one or two students competing, that's unbelievable. But this famous science teacher, she has a staggering nine students. And on top of it, she's featured in the Sundance award-winning film Science Fair that's being described by critics as the funniest movie of the year and a shout-out to teenage science geeks on whom our future depends. I love it. I love what I do. I love... Um, the idea of challenging students to become excellent in science. So it's, it's actually fun. It's not even really a job to me sometimes. I feel like I'm just going to go play with the kids, you know. It is um, the best and brightest young minds around the world. They come together for a week. And before they actually get there, and that's what the movie kind of shows the process of getting there too, um, they have to compete at either a regional or a national or, um, fair in order to win placement into the International Science and Engineering Fair. So these students can be, have been working on a project for 12 months 
And as a result of that, they've learned how to present it, how to sell it, um, the science behind it. A lot of them are original ideas. The year that Science Fair was taped, um, 500 patents were awarded for the students. From that- high school kids. <laughs> So these kids are the future. They're innovative. They're thinkers. They're they're motivated. They have phenomenal ideas. Even so much to me, sometimes even better than what I see from undergrads in the laboratory, because they they're driven to to be successful. They know that whatever this product is, whatever they're presenting to the judges, is a really good idea, and they want everybody to to believe it. So they're really really like trying to promote whatever this thing is. And it, it, it works. There's no doubt that she puts in the hours with her kids. And the hard work is paying off. In the last 10 years that she's been at Jericho High School, her kids have earned spots at ISEF every single year. My kids have gotten Google internships from going to ISEF. Intel um, internships, Regeneron internships. I mean, some of the best genetic companies are there giving the prizes and their company leaders are leaving their business cards with 17 year olds talking about, okay, well next summer, why don't you come work with us? Serena pulls no punches and is brutally honest with her kids. I had a young lady ask me before she left, she said, um, are we going to win? And I told her no. And I know that that's not what she expected me to say. And I said, I'm going to tell you why I said no though. And when she left, I felt bad. So I saw her on Monday and I said, I want to apologize. I should have been so direct with saying what I said, but I'm going to tell you why I said it and why I believe what I, what I said. Yeah. And I explained it to her and she, she told me, she said, no, I appreciate it because a lot of times people don't tell me the truth. You know, yeah. they, they don't want us to know that we may fail. And, and I had to tell her and unfortunately she didn't win. And, and that's something I teach my kids. You can't be afraid to fail. I said, we're going to fail all the time. Science is a bunch of failures. Before we figure out a cure to whatever, someone, a lot of people actually have failed along the way. And yeah. it's okay. Because when you fail, you're actually learning. Yeah. So who cares if you, you mess up? It's yeah. fine to mess up. And I don't think we tell the kids that enough. Even after her students have long graduated from Jericho, she has very high expectations for them. I want them to remember and to pay it forward to do the same for someone else down the road. I, I, I listen to them and they're, they're going to the best and brightest schools. They're, they're achieving great lengths, the ones who have gone on and have followed their trajectory through education and now as professionals in industry. And they always remember. And, and they are doing good things and they are paying it back. And that's, that's all I can ask. When I asked Serena if she was worried that competitors, other teachers, might copy her teaching methods that you can see clearly in the film, her answer really sums up why this teacher is just so incredible. I'm yeah. not here just to make sure Jericho kids win because if that's, that's not the point. Yeah. If you're in science fair or science competitions just to win, you're missing the whole point of science fair. I get so charged up talking to highly motivated people. And, and one of the people that's really inspired me is Sarah Reinertsen. She really epitomizes what a bucket person is all about. And she's been working through her bucket list for years. She was born with a really rare genetic disorder called proximal femoral focal deficiency. It's a disorder that in most extreme cases requires amputation. At just seven years old, Sarah had to face this worst case scenario. But for this fighter, it meant the beginning of an incredible journey. After being inspired by an amputee marathon runner, Patty Rushback, Sarah began running at the age of 11. And since then, she's never really looked back in her quest to overcome heartache, beat expectations, and, and rewrite what is possible 
as she took on the biggest physical and mental challenge of her life known as the Kona Ironman. As a child, a chance encounter with a spectator at a local 10K race, Sarah saw an amputee running in the race and she was surprised. She just didn't think it was possible to run with a prosthetic leg. She'd spent the last four years on the sidelines because of her amputation above the knee. So she was inspired to learn how to run. And that was a real game changer. I think um, as soon as I learned to run, I just loved that feeling, right? That rush that you get of the wind blowing through your hair. But I also found it came at a very, a time in my life, like at 11 years old, that's a tough time for any young person. You're like becoming a tween to a young person, like that teenager and you've got a lot of hormones and stuff. And I'm so glad I discovered running because running helped me deal with growing up and becoming a teenager. And, and I didn't love my body until I started running. Cause I always hated the fact that I was missing a leg and I always looked down at my legs and sort of hated myself. But once I started running, I was like, wow, I have this other good leg and I have these arms and I, it completely shifted myself from hating my body to loving my body. Turns out that Sarah was a natural and had a real gift for running. Once I started racing in the races for people with disabilities and yeah. racing against other amputees, that's when I realized that I actually did have some talent. I might not have been able to beat the school kids, but against the other one-legged women, I was actually pretty good. And so within two years of learning to run, I did set my first world record in the 100-meter dash. You know, when I started running and getting success it's actually I think it's when I started writing my first bucket list I was a big journal keeper as a kid and I remember being um, as a teenager writing in my journal that one day I was going to go to the Paralympic Games and win a gold medal for my country I mean I, that was my first bucket list that this is what I was going to do and that really became my north star that was guiding me that was like I didn't I didn't really get, I mean, of course I was a teenage girl and I got caught up in the prom and, and doing well in school and that kind of stuff, but I really did. It, it gave me this focus, my, my own thing that I could sink my teeth into it. With her laser-focused determination, Sarah made it to the 1992 Paralympic Games in Barcelona. But victory was just not meant to be. She placed fourth, and for this highly competitive person, she was devastated. Yeah, after... After not winning that medal in Barcelona, I did kind of give up for a while. I wanted to quit. I, it was so disappointing to pour my heart and soul into something and then not get the result that I wanted. But shortly after, licking her wounds from the loss, she met another amputee who was training for an Ironman, a race that she'd never even heard of before. An Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, followed by a 26.2 mile run. I wrote in my journal that like one day I was gonna do an Ironman just like you. You really like are a, a bucket lister. <laughs> yes. You are, you, you yeah. are you're putting that down to tick it off. Uh -huh. And so a new ambitious goal was underway. Sarah set her sights on being the first woman to attempt this grueling race with a prosthetic leg. However, she underestimated just how difficult the race was going to be. You might've heard of those crazy, unpredictable Kona wins. Well, it was just too much for her. She lost too much time on the 112-mile cycling section. I missed the cutoff by 14 minutes. I come into the final transition at Hawaii Ironman, and I come in, and I know that I am too late. And they had a chair set up for me. I pull up on my bike, and they're like, you know, sit down. we got to take your chip. And they take your timing chip. I'm like, that's it. You're out of the race. And I just sat there... Um, 
and just started crying because I just couldn't believe that I just failed. I failed on national TV. I've been gunning for this goal for over 11 years. And all I can hear is the announcer at Ironman, you know, the race is still going on. And I can just hear Mike Riley announcing all the other finishers. Like, I can't remember their names, but I just hear him saying, you know, John Smith, you are an Ironman. Phil Kogan, you're an Ironman. And I just sat there like, I am not going to be an Ironman. Like, I just failed. Um, and it was, it was devastating and, and, and embarrassing. I was so embarrassed when the cameras were right there. And I just thought, why, why did I just tell the world I was going to do this? Because I just failed. I actually look at that moment in Kona when I didn't finish the first time as one of the best things to ever happen to me. I needed to go through that moment. I needed to find humility. I also needed to maybe push myself even further than I was doing, you know? I, um, I think I had a lot more to learn on the bike. I had a lot more to learn on the swim. So in true bucket style, Sarah jumped back on the proverbial horse and was back at it. I, I called it my unfinished business, that I had unfinished business in Kona, and so I was determined that I was gonna come back and conquer this island and conquer this course. So um, I, I became even more obsessed. I was already obsessed with Ironman, but I became more obsessed, and I trained even harder. I, I changed the team sometimes too, right? If the plan didn't go well the first time, you gotta really look at that and see what changes you can alter in your plan to get a different result. So I hired a new coach. I, um, I worked with a bike company and they custom designed a bike to fit exactly me. I bought race wheels. I just like, I, um, I, I signed up for a race in Hawaii because I figured more chance to race on that course. Um, I, I flew over there for training weekends and stuff. I mean, I, I also like cut out all the other noise. I knew too that for the next year, that was my focus. And so if it wasn't necessary to do, to going to Ironman, I didn't do it. So like my dad was getting married the same weekend I wanted to do a hundred mile bike ride. And I was like, I love you, dad. Um, I love your fiance, but I'm not coming to the wedding. I have to train that weekend. The secret to her success, her brain. I still do motivation things. Like sometimes I'll print out things with my label maker and I'll stick them on my bike. Yeah. And like quotes or people or things to remind me to be strong when I'm out there. I'm very much into self-coaching. You know, I have, I hired a coach um, in, to help me with my training, but I also see that your best advocate and your best coach is often yourself. And sometimes you can really be, um, your mind can be your greatest weapon or your greatest enemy. And I always try to use it as a weapon or a coach um, to lift me up instead of put myself down. Sarah is determined to be an advocate for those less fortunate than herself. And so I still feel like there's a lot of work to, to be done in order to shift this mindset of how we open up um, accessibility and adaptability to all people. And, and I know that because of my life as an athlete, I have, um, I've had the privilege of having so many opportunities. I mean, um, I'm an athlete that gets my legs given to me and not, not everybody who has a disability can get access to the running legs that I have. I mean, so that's also, I feel like it's my job as a, a citizen, a good citizen in the world. To, as a role model. As a role model and to make sure the opportunity is there for somebody else. Every kid who's an amputee should be able to get a running leg if they want a running leg. And so that's where I want to inspire people, but I also want to empower people and equip people to, 
to find that adaptability in their own life. So I wear this Iron Man necklace because I finished the Hawaii Iron Man in 2005. I did it in 15 hours and five minutes, and I became the first woman on a prosthetic leg uh, to finish that race. It was amazing. I mean, I went to cross that finish line, finally hear those words, Sarah Reinertsen, you are an Iron Man. Breaking new ground is just one of the eight steps to living the bucket lifestyle. Sarah, Billy Lee, Serena Michaela, they're all kick-ass women who are all incredibly distinctive and diverse. All three are absolutely determined to make a difference and leave the world a better place. They're trailblazers and they've achieved their success by not being afraid to break new ground and do whatever it takes to shatter stereotypes, all while helping others on their journey. Don't forget to go to bucketnutrition.com. That's bucket with an IT. Use promo code 10 for a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. And I also have some bucket shots for you, filled with B12 and New Zealand Manuka honey. Just tell me when you broke new ground, when you did something new and different. DM me on Instagram at Bucket Nutrition. I'll pick out my favorite story and I'll send you some bucket boosters to try. 